0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, open with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. In the Gospel of Mark, it's a quick gospel. It's the shortest in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark is telling it very quickly. Uh, As I mentioned before, the, the Greek word for immediately is frequently found in there. But now as Jesus is approaching his impending death... And the hope of the resurrection, we see that it slows down and picks up more detail, a lot more detail. I, I began with the premise two weeks ago that uh, it's interesting that Jesus comes into town and he is greeted by great fanfare, and then in less than a week later, he's then betrayed, beaten, killed on a cross, and then buried, and then raises from the dead. And so we're slowing down to see, okay, what's leading up to him having a huge pep rally to ultimately being put to death. In the span of a week. And so, as you go through these chapters, you're able to see the hard things that Jesus is saying, and he's basically offending everybody, telling them, You're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and I'm God, which is problematic for those who don't believe. And so today we're going to focus in on Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. Jesus had just given the great commandment. He he was asked by a scribe, saying, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Ultimately, Jesus' understanding and knowing that he is the fulfillment of that great command. Both of them. And so, in fulfilling those commands, he's now calling us to live into that fulfillment and enjoyment of him so that we don't have to work harder to please God. But because God is pleased with those who are in Christ, they can now live freely, loving and enjoying God, and therefore loving what God loves, which is people. God loves his creation. And so now Jesus is, he, this is kind of the DTR of the moment, the determine the relationship moment. He has revealed these things to his disciples, that he is in fact God. He is the Messiah of God, but greater than King David. And so he's now going to come and really declare this truth. So the main thing I want us to see this morning and enjoy is that the authority of Jesus is life-giving and it's life-changing. The authority of Jesus is life-giving and its life-changing. Life-changing the Messiah, the anointed one, the rescuer, is a promise that the Jewish scribes and the Pharisees believed was coming. And a lot of times they interpreted scripture halfway, but not all the way. They missed the fulfillment of these promises. They missed John the Baptist. They understood and believed that an Elijah was to come, but they missed the fact that Jesus was in fact that Elijah. And now they're missing the Messiah, Jesus Himself, who is the fulfillment of all the laws and prophecies of the Old Testament and the acceptable redeeming sacrifice. So let's pick up in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, He said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? He says, David Himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So Jesus is using Psalm chapter uh, chapter 110, verse 1, as a fulfillment of this prophecy that David was holding on to. As David was going into war and and being handed victory and being spared, he was having this opportunity to see um, the fulfillment of this prophecy. David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, to myself, so the one that was speaking to me was in authority over me. Now, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Davidic promise in the sense that he does come down. His his lineage is through the line of David. You can see that at the beginning of Matthew, and you can see that early in Luke. He comes and descends from the tribe of David, but the Davidic Messiah, the, the Messiah sent by David that people were hoping for, would rise again to be king of the world, but not an eternal king. And so they partially understood what it meant for Jesus to be a son of David, but they also didn't understand what it meant for him to be the son of God. The theme, uh, the title of our series through the Gospel of Mark is Jesus the Son. Jesus is the Son of God coming with full authority as God to overthrow the schemes of evil. He is also the Son of Mankind coming not to lord just over us, but to come alongside us and serve us and liberate us. And so as Jesus is... Bringing this definition to a Jewish here, this would be a bit overwhelming as they begin to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. Jesus descends from David, but Jesus is the Lord over David. Jesus has been, is, and will always be the Messiah at the right hand of the Father with full authority. Jesus is the promised one to come and rescue God's chosen people. Jesus didn't come to reclaim Israel. Jesus came to reveal his authority over her. So he's not coming to patch back together a nation. He's coming to declare his authority over a people. And it's interesting. It says, and the great throng heard him gladly. Now, at first rush over that, it might be like, wow, they're agreeing with Jesus. The problem is the same phrase is used in Mark chapter 6 when it said that Herod listened to to John the Baptist's teaching gladly. If you don't know the story of John the Baptist, Herod then later had him beheaded. So just because they are hearing him gladly doesn't mean they are agreeing or understanding what he is saying. And after all, people hear what they want to hear, don't they? People believe what they want to believe, and they attribute that to people. It's a fallacy, but people attribute what they want. As some of you know, I used to travel full-time speaking um, at the height of my speaking ministry. I was on the road over 120 days a year, speaking at small events, large events, and everywhere in between. And what I learned was the importance, one, of being anchored into a local ch- congregation. I was talking to my friend Hudson about this yesterday yesterday. Um, I was always made an effort to be in my community group and at church at least twice a month if I could during my height of my speaking because the local congregation kept me anchored and they weren't overly impressed with who I was. And they wanted to know me and they understood I was a goober in many different ways. Because when I traveled and spoke, I mean, I got to come be the all star for 45 minutes. And as long as I acted nice before and afterwards, then people had an idea of who they thought I was. In fact, they brought me in to bring certain results. And so it was very transactional. They believed enough of what they wanted to believe to get me to come in to do what they wanted me to do. And as long as I landed somewhere around what they wanted to happen, then I was a good guy. But there was no deep relationship. There was no deep understanding. There wasn't an anchor of relationship. It was just a function of transaction. Now, I became friends and built relationships with several of the pastors that I would partner with, youth ministers, pastors, conference hosts. And they began to understand that, hey, the guy who had the crash and who loves Jesus and loves to help students love Jesus has more to say than just that and has some faults as well. And so when they they liked what Jesus said, doesn't mean they understood it, doesn't mean they agreed with it. People hear what they want to hear. People believe what they want to believe. They were still hoping for this messianic warrior king to come, deliver them from the, the throngs of the Roman oversight so that they could then be kings and queens and lords over other people. So they heard this. Jesus is speaking plainly, I'm God over David. Bless you. Amen. You're still here. People hear what they want to hear. And we see that today with people as they come and have beliefs in Jesus. They believe what they want to believe about Jesus. This isn't new. In John chapter 6, I mentioned this before, I was teaching one time at a youth conference thing, and I was teaching out of John chapter 6 where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and many of the disciples couldn't handle it then Jesus comes and he gives the statement of you know what they walked away because some of them weren't chosen and so I started talking about that in John, it's in John 6 and this woman literally said she came up after me she's like you know I heard what you said about John 6 but that's not my Jesus I said well ma'am I'm I'm just teaching what the Bible is saying, right? Not my Jesus. And I wonder how many of us are carrying around a not-my-Jesus attitude. My Jesus wouldn't call me to sacrifice or to serve or to give. My Jesus wouldn't call me to be made uncomfortable. My Jesus wants me to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. My... We, we very quickly start making up a Jesus that looks a lot like us. And Jesus is saying, I have authority over all rulers. I have authority over King David. Yes, the humanity I entered into descended from David. But he's Lord over David. And he goes on teaching then. Full assault. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Acting religious doesn't make you right with God. These scribes were coming with great appearances. See, Jesus displayed authority with his teachings. Jesus displayed the power of God through his healings. The scribes declared their authority with their clothing. They would dress fancy and appear all together. They would presume that they had the right to sit in places of honor and be treated with honor and treated with respect. Early on in the the life of Christ Community Church, our first core group, uh, four months in, The majority of them decided to move on and go to another church that was less work. I I remember having a conversation with one of the guys, and he said, who's going to set up and tear down when we start next fall? And I looked at him, and I said, you and I. And they felt called elsewhere, along with several other people. And I remember sitting with one of my mentors, and I said, I just don't feel like they showed the respect I deserve. And he's like, who do you think you are? He's like, Did Jesus get the respect he deserved? Did Paul get the respect he deserved? And he was much kinder than that and wiser than that, but I'm just trying to give you the the cliff notes. The beautiful thing about following Christ, even when we're not respected, is that Christ was far more disrespected than we will ever be for something that he did not even do. And so these scribes are coming with pretense and displaying this felt or assumed authority by the way they dress and by the way they act and by what they assume is theirs rightfully. The challenge is, though, these scribes, while they looked like they mattered, they neglected the true mission of God and ultimately declared a false religion altogether. Jesus unpacks the saying that They like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They love showing up and being honored. They love the respect that they get. They want to have their ring kissed, if you will. They want to be given the best seat, the best food, the best stuff. But they were neglecting the true mission of God. He said, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So some commentators say that these guys would go and take whatever they could from the widows. Instead of serving the widows, they would take. But just as awful would be, they would neglect them altogether. That's not what made them look spiritual. That's not what made them look righteous. That's not what made them feel powerful. And so they ignored it. And then their prayers, the word we translate as pretense, is really an attempt to make something that is not the case appear to be true. And so although they were not really communing with God, they were not communicating with God, they wanted the benefits of God without taking the responsibilities that God gives to his people. They would say these super long prayers and sound super spiritual, but inside they were dead and decayed and far from God, espousing a kingdom that was not true. And my fear is, I think that's the error that a lot of us are tempted to go. We know the right words, we know the right behavior, we know the right glory to God, praise God, all these other things, and we treat God like a cosmic slot machine that we put our coins into and expect big blessings back. But all the while, don't we understand that the greatest blessing that we get is God himself? That in our suffering and in our mourning and in our loneliness, that the spirit of God strips things away to come alongside of us, to minister to us, Through our loss, he comes and shows himself as a great gain. Even if we're not feeling that right now, the lessons won't be lost because he is faithful to see that through. And my heart is, friends, that that those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would go the way of Jesus rather than the way of the religious people. That we wouldn't just... Live like godly people on the outside, but our hearts are far from the things that God cares about on the inside. That when we care for widows and orphans and their distress, we do so not just so that we can make a big deal about it, but because we are walking in alignment with our king and experiencing his power and his grace as we do that. What we can see this morning is first that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised throughout the prophecies And the law, we see the fulfillment of Messiah in the person and work of Jesus Christ who loves mercy more than he loves sacrifice, who descends from the line of David but has authority over David. He is the son of God who was foretold in the Old Testament and his purpose, ultimate, his ultimate purpose. See, we love to make Jesus our butler and we talk about how Jesus was meant to bring us comfort and completion and stuff and wealth and health, and he was coming to give us a most happy marriage, and he came to do all these things. No, Jesus came to model for us that through suffering we have great gain in and through the person of Jesus. That we're then liberated to sacrifice because of his ultimate sacrifice. That God can never be outgiven because he's given his all. And as we pursue those truths, and as we press into the promised Messiah, we begin to realize that God may be more about what we need than what we want. That's the making of a good God. And as we align with a God who is more intent about what we need rather than what we want, our needs begin to be satisfied and our wants begin to be transformed. I used to dream big when I was in my early 20s for a new Nissan Murano. $25,000. Whew. But I wanted that thing. I would lust after a Nissan Murano. I can say it to you now. The Lord's delivered me not only from the Murano, but from vehicle lust. But I thought I would arrive if I could just get the Murano. And I wanted it so badly. And I thought as long as I was faithful to God and you know, I would sacrifice and live by faith, that he and his kindness would give me the Murano. You're laughing at me, but some of you should be laughing with me. If I do for God, God will do for me, transaction. The problem was I was missing Jesus in that. And I hadn't heard of a magazine called Consumer Reports either. (laughs) So My desires were off on several fronts at that point in my life. What I found in all of that and my desires and needs is that desires for wrong things are helpful in the fact they help us know what desire feels like. I'm not saying we should pursue desiring wrong things, but when our desires are off, it at least helps us feel like we're alive, right? That we know that, man, we want, there's something we want. And then we can say, man, we're a little bit out of alignment or out of whack because I don't feel that desire right now for God. I don't desire God. And instead of blaming God for not being desirable enough, because he is, we can at least take that as an invitation, saying, God, what am I not believing about you that's true, that misaligns my desires for you? And we can then like, be honest with each other, saying, man, I desire a Murano more than I desire God right now. And then we can laugh at each other, because it's a Nissan. No offense, Nissan, I haven't researched you in years, but we have these desires and these wants. And so, Jesus is the Messiah that was promised, but Jesus is also the Messiah that's needed. That's the second point. Jesus is the Messiah that is needed. We don't need another Messiah president. We don't have one. We don't need another Messiah governor. We don't need another Messiah congressman or senator. We have a Messiah. And he has taken care of the ultimate problem, the one that has eternal consequences, and he has been faithful. One thing we can look at with Jesus is that Jesus deals with the things that matter to God. If you want to know what God cares about, what what matters to God, we can look to Jesus. God cares about your holiness. God cares about you living a life that is set apart and unique and different, not to earn something, but because we've been given it all. And since we've been given it all, then God has intent and concern over our pursuit of holiness. And our pursuit of holiness isn't legalism. Our pursuit of holiness are ordering our lives with habits that are life-giving rather than life-taking. I said this before, and I stole it from somebody else in the name of Jesus, just full disclosure. But it's true. We are 100% disciplined to our habits. We are 100% disciplined to our habits. And so once we begin to buy in and say, well, Jesus is the Messiah that is needed, where are my habits leading me to not believe that, whether it's with work or with money or with bad habits, destructive habits, if it's how we interact with our spouse or our children, the entitlement issues that a lot of us deal with. But when we begin to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises, that Jesus is the one who makes a way for those of us who can't ever match God's holiness, we then begin to find a great hope and opportunity that even when we're missing the mark, the focus is shifting from us to God. That when we're not desiring God or the things of God, the way we start is not trying hard or trying to desire God. The way we start is agreeing with God that we don't desire him as much as we can. And that we are desiring these lesser things. And so we see Jesus is the Messiah that is promised. He is the Messiah that is needed. And Jesus, number three, is the example to follow. That's where we get stuck. Following Jesus isn't merely going to church to get a pep talk, to be better people. Following Jesus is gathering with God's people as the body of Christ, pursuing the person of Christ for the glory of Christ throughout the week. It's a gathering of people of Christ to pursue the person of Christ for the glory of Christ so that we can follow him throughout the week. He is the one we follow. What matters to him can matter to us, and we can believe that even in pain and suffering, we will find the ultimate enjoyment of God himself. The longings of your appetites and of your desires are a deep-seated need to try to find the things of life and glory that God created you to find in himself, but instead we are looking for in lesser things. Those desires that occur help us know that, hey, I don't desire God like that right now. And rather than trying harder, let it humble us. And let that humility go before God saying, God, I'm valuing many other people and things way more than I'm valuing you. Help. And he's so kind and faithful to help. And as we love him that way, he then liberates us to get out of our own pity party And to enter into other people's suffering, love God, love people. As we confess our lack of love for God, he then meets with us and then shows us, you want to experience my love? Be a part of it by loving your neighbor. It's coming together, I hope, for some of you. That as we're coming and following Jesus, we can follow him. He's the example to follow. The scribes and the Pharisees were out and about. They were about their own fame, but Jesus was obscure. He was not discovered or known about. People followed him for his benefits, but often didn't have the fullness of who he was revealed until he rose from the dead, including his own disciples. You see, the the scribes and Pharisees would peacock. They would go out and show how powerful and wonderful they are. Jesus oftentimes, at the peak of his buy-in and of the following that he had, he would then remove himself and go into obscurity and go on to a different place. The way of following Jesus isn't going trying to make a name for ourselves. The way of following Jesus is allowing the power of God to go before us. Being less concerned about our image and more concerned about his. The way of Jesus as we follow Jesus is to pursue humility. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's a miracle and freedom of not thinking so much of yourself at all. When I talked about humility, when we identify our lack of desire or our desire for other things, it's not that the fix isn't going to try harder and muster up this desire to fix that on our own. The the ultimate solution and the ultimate way forward for that is to actually come alongside God and say, God, you make up for all I lack. God, I love these sins more than I love you. And he's sitting there as a loving father saying, I know my son paid for that. You are forgiven of that. That's no longer what you're enslaved to. The chain's been broken. You may be like a junkyard dog that's chained to the tree and running around and around and around, and you're used to it. And you go back to the tree, and you go as far from the tree as you can, but you can't get away. I want you to hear today, friends, that chain's been broken. You don't have to stay at that tree any longer. You can run on. You've been set free. You can follow Jesus in the path of humility that We can come and confess and he knows and we can come and be open and he cares and we can take whatever's in the darkness and bring it into the light, no matter how horrible it is, because he is faithful and he is greater. We also see that Jesus is generous, that the scribes and the Pharisees were concerned about consuming and taking. Christ was consistently about giving and ultimately of his own life. So the generosity that we call Christ Community Church isn't a generosity of trying to help you be wealthier. The generosity we're calling you to with your time and your money is to make you happier and find more joy. I know several generous people. None of them are sad. Those who are generous because of God, because of what God's done in them and through them, they're always provided for, and they're always full of joy. It's terrifying, because we've been taught our whole life, earn for yourself, protect yourself, keep for yourself. My purpose in calling us to be a generous church isn't so I can get a fatter wallet. My call for us to be a generous church is because we serve a generous God. And as we follow Jesus, we're posturing towards generosity and trust in the Father and hoping God's provision. We're not just trying to build a big name for ourselves and buy a lot of cool things. We're trying to come in and say, hey, we want to be faithful with what God's called us a steward because he owns not 10%, he owns 100%. And we see that this generous, benevolent Savior comes not only to give truth, not only to model the way, but he also comes to give his life that we might have life. That's generous. We see that Jesus is faithful Jesus is saying hard truths that are truths that are not popular and he does so in a way that at first these folks just aren't getting but he doesn't do it just for that moment. He is faithful not for the sake of their immediate faithfulness back to him. He is faithful because he wants to be faithful to his father who is always faithful. Those of you who are serving in children's ministry, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever, not even currently, but ever served back in children's ministry even by accident once? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Look around. Lots of you. Thank you. We're baptizing several children today that you have all been a part of, creating an environment for them to hear about Jesus. I think we're baptizing five or so children today. So I want you to know that that God is working that. Jesus is faithful. Jesus isn't faithful for the immediate gratification. Jesus entered into a lot of frustrating scenarios because he was being obedient to his father. If you don't believe me, read his interactions with his disciples even after he rose from the dead. If you think frustration means that you're not following Jesus, you're frustrated for the wrong reasons. Frustrations happen because our expectations are not being met. I expect things to be hard as a follower of Jesus. I know it's more offensive because we live in a very comfortable place, but I expect things to be difficult. I expect people to sin. I expect marriages to fall apart, and I believe that Jesus is the only solution to build them back up. That's the only hope we have. And so Jesus is the example that we follow as we continue on the path with him next week. As he talks about the generosity of a widow, we will see that the authority of Jesus is not like the Pharisees and scribes that is life-taking and life-stalling, but the authority of Jesus is life-giving and life-changing, That's what we're about here at Christ Community Church, seeing lives changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus, by the person of Jesus, to see desires realigned with the desires of their king, to see marriages that are falling apart become whole, not just for the happiness, but for the pursuit of holiness, so that it might be a testimony to those around us of the faithfulness of God and his gospel, that we would be a generous people, not so that we could be show-offs, but that we can show gratitude and grace and happiness helps that when we come alongside of people when we open our mouth to talk about the great things of eternity it makes sense and it's consistent that we care about people who are far from God disobedient to God and hateful towards God because without God's grace we all would be also And so on October 8th, I'm launching a series called We Are C3. Many people ask, well, what is our vision? Our mission is to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. But some of us need to know, okay, but where are we going with that? How does that look? And so on October 8th, for three weeks, I'm doing a series called We Are C3. We've done a lot of work since last uh, March talking about what is our vision, what do we hope to see happen between now and 2020, how do we hope to endeavor to get there, and many of you have been speaking into that process, and God has been building that momentum and building that, not for the sake of growing our church just to have more people, we don't just want more nickels and noses, we want more people to hear the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We want them to encounter this life-changing Messiah. We want them to know that there's more to life than just living and consuming, but that we have been given the consumed Christ so that we can have life forever. And so I hope you'll go with your calendar in October and make it a priority to be here every Sunday in October. And we'll culminate that with a Serve the City on the last October of the month where we go out into the community to live on mission, to be examples and ambassadors for Christ. The hope that we have here for anybody that enters into our doors, regardless of where you are in your faith journey, that you leave here hearing a clear message about who Jesus is and about who you are because of him. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your hope and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you, let me urge you to consider the claims of Jesus. His claims have eternal consequence. He claims in John 14, verse 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. By trusting and hoping fully in Jesus, by being self-aware of the fact that there is a God who made us, who is perfect and loving and gracious and faithful and keeps his promises, and that we are most of the time, if we're honest, pretty much opposite of those things. So that's why the Messiah of Jesus, the rescuer of Jesus, coming to live, fulfilling these laws and prophecies as our substitute, dying on the cross, a horrible, gruesome death that we deserve, being dead and buried, and by God's power being raised from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan, as an obedient act to the Father for the benefit of those who would believe. Jesus Christ is the Messiah of God that was promised. Jesus Christ is the Messiah that is needed. And Jesus is the example that we are called to follow. That's what we're doing here at C3. We want to follow Christ together. We want to obey Christ. We want to experience the power of Christ. And one of the ways that we're going to see that today is as we baptize these children who have come to age and come to faith, placing their hope and trust in Jesus Christ that we begin to see God's faithful promises, that he keeps his promises of those of us who have labored in various capacities, creating environments for their moms and dads to hear the gospel and for them to hear the gospel, that he's keeping his promise to save his elect. And so as we gather here, we don't want to do that with pretense, an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. We want to come here with humility, saying, God, you are true even when I don't feel it. God, you are needed even when I don't know it. God, you are faithful even when I'm not. That's the hope that we have in Christ. We're so, so humbled that the authority of Jesus is actually life-giving and life-changing. And if you don't know him yet, you can trust him today. In your own way, you can cry out to God and say, I need to be forgiven. I need to be accepted. Jesus, will you forgive me? And he will. Let's pray.